following message was delivered at Bible Baptist Church in Dickinson, North Dakota. First Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> As we're not too far into our study in the book of First Peter. First Peter chapter 1. And let's begin in verse 1. The Bible says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. I want to continue with our subject. Hope to finish it up tonight. Our election. Our election. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, as we look into thy word tonight, God, thank you for it. God, thank you for the freedom that we have to come to worship you through the word of God. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to understand uh, this subject of election. Father, thank you for the way you've broken down your work of election. And Father, our response to it, I pray, God, that you would again help us to see this last part of our election in the second person of the Trinity, our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, bless us. Help us to appreciate what we have as Christian people. And Father, we have so much. Bless us now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, our election. And we have been talking about election. Sometimes you think about election, you think about what we've gone through with the presidential elections, and that's kind of been a mess. And here in, in verse 2, uh, the apostle Peter uses the word elect, and we'll find, you find that throughout the New Testament. And I think there's a lot of misunderstanding concerning our election as Christian people. Now, we found that the word elect means to, to choose or to be chosen to be an object of mercy or favor. This does not mean, as some believe, that the Lord has chosen some to go to heaven and some to go to hell, uh, even against their will or their choice. If you look at me to John 3, John chapter 3 and verse 14, the Bible is full of the truth that the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is offered freely to all, and all can be saved. In John chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, the Bible says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Repeatedly, in these three verses, in these three verses we find that it's a whosoever will gospel offered to all men. Now, if God were uh, just of a mind to choose some to go to heaven and some to go to hell, why offer it uh, to all men and say whosoever, amen? Because uh, whosoever could not be saved. The, yet the Bible says, and Christ says, whosoever will uh, might be saved, amen? If you will, look with me to Isaiah 45. Isaiah 45 tonight. And looking at verse 20, this truth is found throughout the scripture in Isaiah 45, beginning in verse 20. <clears throat> Here the Bible says, Assemble yourselves and come, draw near together ye that are escaped of the nations. They have no knowledge that set up the wood of their graven image and pray unto a God that cannot save. Tell ye and bring them near, yea, let them uh, take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? There is no God else beside me. A just God and a Savior, there is none beside me. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. Here again, the Lord is extending an opening, if you will, or a call to all men for salvation, if you will, in First Timothy chapter 2. First Timothy chapter 2, and beginning in verse 3. First Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. Here the Apostle Paul, writing to Timothy, says, Here, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. So it is that God will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Now, not all men will be saved, but if they're not saved, it's by their own choice not by the choice of God. God desires and delights to show mercy unto all, and yet not all will receive it. In 2 Peter 3 and verse 9, 2 Peter chapter 3, 
and uh, verse 9, the Bible says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So we know that really the, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is a gospel offered to all, and all who will receive it can receive it. You know, in Joshua 24 and verse 14, if you look there with me, Joshua 24 and verse 14, we know that uh, God has offered the choice to all men uh, to be saved in Joshua 24. And uh, looking at verse 14, again here the Bible says, And now therefore fear the Lord. And you know, remember, Joshua is talking to Jewish people, and he is going to make an, has made a nation of Israel, and yet not all of that are, are of Israel uh, were the true children of God. Not all of them were, if you will, the spiritual elect or chosen as uh, vessels of mercy uh, because uh, by their own choice they rejected the Lord. Here, uh, Joshua, as he is old, he is calling them uh, back to God because he knows among this great multitude of people there were those that did not really know the Lord and did not want him. Here, they're given another opportunity in Joshua 24 and 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve you the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to, to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom he will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood. You hear that's we're speaking of the idolatry that finally brought the world to the judgment of God, if you will. He says also, <clears throat> or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And Joshua had chosen a long time ago to serve God, choosing the Lord, if you will. And he, he became, if you will, part of the elect of God, chosen of uh, uh, the Lord uh, to be a vessel of a mercy. Now, looking back to our text in 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, we have touched on two parts of our election and two people or two persons involved with our election. 1 Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> Again in verse 2, 1 Peter 1 and verse 2. Now we've talked about, as we began to look more closely at our election, we find that we are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now there are some that believe that God, knowing the, the end from the beginning, has chosen people long before the foundation of the world to go to heaven and go to hell. But when we look at that a particular uh, a passage where it says elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, means that uh, they're chosen to be an object of mercy by the determinate counsel of God the Father. Here we see the uh, uh, first person of the Godhead, that is God the Father, is determined that those who choose Him by grace through faith in Christ will be the objects of His mercy and reconciliation and salvation. God desires to save men. He chooses to save them when they repent and believe or choose Him by grace through faith in Him. Again, look with me to Isaiah 46 and 9. Isaiah 46 and 9, as we're still reviewing. Isaiah 46 and verse 9. Here the Bible says to the prophet Isaiah, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, I will do all my pleasure. God has a determined counsel, a determined purpose, and He's chosen uh, to make us elect through His foreknowledge or according to His determined purpose. God has determined that those who choose Him will be the objects of His mercy or chosen by Him in a kind. If you look with me to Luke 22, Luke 22, <clears throat> and looking at verse 21. Luke 22 and verse 21. Behold, the, ham, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table. Now this is the first Lord's Supper. He's speaking of Judas, who was the guide to them that would uh, betray Christ. And truly the Son of Man goeth as it was determined, but woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed. God had determined that there would be someone who would betray Christ. And let me tell you something. It didn't take much for God to find a traitor even in the midst of the apostles, Judas, one who Jesus called the, the son of perdition, he also called him in John 6, a devil, not a child of God, chose by the determinate counsel of God to, 
to betray Christ. Let me tell you something. God planned a long time ago that Christ would be betrayed in the hands of sinful men and be sacrificed for sinners on the cross of Calvary so that he might offer and extend a mercy to all who will receive him by grace through faith in the Christ. Again, looking with me to uh, Acts 3. <clears throat> Acts chapter uh, 3. And looking at verse 18. Acts chapter 3 and verse 18. <clears throat> Here the Bible says, But those things which God before has showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he has so fulfilled. God has revealed his plan, his determined purpose uh, to, to uh, offer election or, or if you will, uh, grace and mercy through Jesus Christ. It says, And repent ye therefore, verse 19, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus which was before preached unto you, whom the heavens must receive until the time of the restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all of his prophets since the world began. For Moses said truly, uh, the father said unto the fathers a prophet, uh, for Moses said, truly said that unto the fathers a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me him shall ye hear in all things uh, uh, whatsoever he shall say to you. You know, we know that God... Uh, had, if you will, revealed his will, his determined purpose uh, to provide salvation, forgiveness of sins, grace and mercy through our Lord Jesus Christ, according, if you will, elect according uh, to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And then we talked uh, last week about, if you look back to 1 Peter chapter 2, <clears throat> again, God has not uh, predestined anyone to go to heaven or anyone to go to hell. In 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 and verse 2, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And then, then as we move further into the verse, through sanctification of the Spirit. Now elect, secondly, elect through the uh, uh, sanctification of the Spirit. Now elect through the sanctification of the Spirit is chosen to be an object of mercy, the mercy of God, through the work of the third person of the Trinity. That is the Holy Spirit. His work is convincing men of sin and drawing them to trust Christ for reconciliation and salvation. Look at me to John 16. John 16. Now, <clears throat> the Bible teaches that salvation is a work of God. You know, some believe that, you know, you can just, one of these days, just say, I, I want to be saved and be saved. Well, <clears throat> God has to be involved in that work of salvation in the person of the Holy Spirit. In John 16, looking at verse 7. John 16, beginning in verse 7. Here the Lord Jesus Christ said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he, now he's talking about the Holy Spirit. He's referring to him, if you will, with a pronoun. He, he is a person. When he has come, he will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, of sin, because they believe not on me, of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and you see me no more, of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. So we see the work of the Holy Spirit in convincing men of sin and their need of the Savior. It's a work that God has to do in the human heart. You know, I could go to someone and sit down with them and maybe convince them in their head of the truth of what the Bible says concerning the gospel. But what we need more than anything is a work of the Holy Spirit convincing men of their sinfulness and their need of a Savior. And that's something that we as human beings cannot do. I'm a messenger. I preach the word of God. I preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I sit down with people, share the truth of the gospel with them. But what we need is a work of the Spirit of God, uh, the, work, uh, the work that he does in, in election, helping them to see that they need Christ, helping them to see that Christ is the answer and to choose him for salvation. Amen? So important. Such an important work in John uh, 6 and 41, John 6 and 41. <clears throat> and if you're saved here today, folks, you're saved because of a work that God did through his word and the gospel in your heart to bring you to Christ. In John 6 and verse 41, then the Jews, then, uh, the Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is not this uh, Jesus, the son of Joseph, 
whose father and mother we know. How is it uh, then that he saith, I came down from heaven? Already they're struggling. They've been struggling with Jesus, all he's been doing, all he's been preaching, and the miracles. They know something's going on here, but they don't want to receive it. And Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God, he hath seen the Father. <clears throat> he hath seen the Father. So we know that, that God will reveal his Son and their sinfulness to sinners by the work of the Holy Spirit of God. God desires to help man to, to see uh, that there is a place for them to be a, a part of those who are chosen to mercy. You know, God isn't going to choose for them, but he wants, them to, ha wants to help them to see uh, that he offers to them mercy through a work of the Holy Spirit. Look with me to uh, Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. <clears throat> there are those that uh, teach that the grace of God and the work of the Holy Spirit in the human heart is irresistible. That means if you're going predetermined to be saved, you're the chosen of God, you're going to get saved whether you like it or not. And uh, the Bible has many examples of those that under the conviction of the Holy Spirit rejected Christ, rejected, uh, if you will, the election of God. In Acts 7 and 51, now Stephen, he is a deacon, one of the first deacons of the church in Jerusalem. We find in Acts chapter 6, now here in chapter 7, he's making his defense uh, before the Jewish Sanhedrin, the, the ruling class of the Jews, and as he's been preaching, he winds it up with these, uh, these words in verse 51. He's stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. Now watch what he says here. Ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. What was going on? The Holy Spirit of God was reaching in, and as Stephen was preaching, convicting them, trying to show them, you know, not just trying to show them that Stephen was right. You know, when we talk about preaching the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus Christ to people, it's not just to prove that we're right, even though we're right. Amen? As long as we're uh, preaching according to the word of God. It's not about uh, trying to prove that we're right, but trying to help people to see their need of Christ, to see that God desires to choose to show mercy to them through the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. It says here, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on them with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Here, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit and, the, and God working through and preaching to these people who are resisting, resisting choosing Christ over their sin, choosing Christ over their false religion. And yet, it's a choice that so many have, and yet many make the wrong choice. And they cried out, <clears throat> they cried out with a loud voice, verse 57, and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet. His name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon uh, God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died in the Lord. Now, there was one among them one among them, though he was at this time resisting, he would finally choose himself no longer to resist the work that God was doing in his heart. In Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogue, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Now what's going on? God, the Holy Spirit, is working 
in Saul of Tarsus's life. Now, he's not going to force him, but uh, the Lord has stopped him on the road to Damascus, on a road of persecution, continuing persecution of Christianity and uh, uh, Christ's church. He stops him to get his attention, and it's time either to choose Christ or to, to reject him, finally. It was, as the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, it is called the day of salvation. And here the apostle Paul responds uh, uh, to the Lord's call, and he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? Here, the, uh, the, uh, here Saul of Tarsus finally realizes, you know what? I've been persecuting the Christ. I've been persecuting the followers of Christ, Christians, and I'm wrong. And the Holy Spirit of God helped him to see that he was wrong and helped him to see that Christ was the answer, the, the one that could make him acceptable to God. You know, the word sanctify means to, uh, to make holy, to make acceptable unto God. You and I can't go to heaven, but without a work that God does in our heart. You know what, folks? When God brings us to salvation and we put our faith and trust in Christ, the Bible says we are made holy. We are made righteous, even as Second Corinthians 5 and 21, the Bible says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Made righteous by the work of our Lord Jesus Christ, that work being in the person of the Holy Spirit. And then, if you will, tonight, <clears throat> looking back to our text in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2, 1 Peter 1 and 2, as we wind up here, our, the, the subject of election in 1 Peter 1 and 2. Again, the Bible says, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. The third part deals with, and again, uh, one of the, the last of the third of three persons of God in the person of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, as we talk about Elect unto obedience and sprinkle of the blood. Here we see the second person of the Trinity, Trinity, our Lord Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, involved in our election. That is, by the obedience of Christ and shedding his blood as a sacrifice for our sins, and then being the great high priest, sprinkling his blood upon the mercy seat of God in heaven, we have then become the objects of God's mercy and grace by faith in our Lord Jesus Christ's finished work. You know, folks, when Christ said it is finished as he hung on the cross of, of Christ, he had finished the sacrifice necessary for salvation, but his work was not complete until he took that sacrifice into heaven. But he is, if you will, uh, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son in John 1. John 1 and verse 1. <clears throat> And what we see in, in uh, the work of election is God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son of the Word. In John 1 and 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Look at verse 14, and the Word was made flesh <clears throat> and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We're speaking of the Lord uh, Jesus Christ, the Word of God, God in the flesh. Look at 1 John 5. 1 John 5 and 7. 1 John 5 and uh, verse 7. Here the Bible says, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. They say, well, preacher, how can this be? How can three different distinct persons be one God? I don't know. And I'm not sure that I have to explain it. I'm not sure there's a good explanation for something that is beyond sometimes our ability to understand. We just have to accept what the Bible says of God, that he is manifest in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And these three are one in 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 18. <clears throat> and our Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, is involved in our election in this way. In 1 Peter 1 and 18, sir, uh, he says here, and I'm uh, in uh, chapter, two, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 18, For as much as you know 
that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. You know what, folks, he's saying there's nothing that can redeem us in what we do. You can't buy your way into heaven. You can't be religious enough to make it to heaven. But he says here in verse 19, but with the precious blood of of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who was verily foreordained before the foundation of the world, meaning God had planned before the world began that redemption could only be, uh, be available to us through the shedding of his son's precious blood. Amen. And it says, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Folks, our Lord Jesus Christ, if you will, is the great high priest and at the same time the great sacrifice for sin. If you will look with me to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14. Hebrews 4 and verse 14. Hebrews 4 and verse 14. Here the Bible says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. As a high priest, he had a responsibility to do something so very important uh, uh, toward all of us. In, in chapter 5 of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, for every high priest uh, taken from among men is ordained for men and things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins, who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. And by reason hereof he ought, as for the people, so for himself to offer for sins. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. So also Christ glorified himself not to be, made, uh, not to be an high priest, but uh, that he, but he uh, that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee, as Psalm 110 says, as he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now he's talking about the fact that Christ, though he was of the tribe of Judah, you know, the tribe of Levi was chosen of God to be uh, pre- the priest of God and the worship of the Lord uh, by the Lord himself. But Jesus Christ was something altogether special. He was after the order of Melchizedek. Look with me to Genesis 14. Genesis chapter 14 tonight. And we find here a reference to Melchizedek in Genesis 14. And Abraham's dealing with this high priest of God in Genesis 14. And we'll begin in verse 17. Genesis 14 and 17. Here the Bible says in the king, now, now Abraham has gone out to recover Lot and his family and all their goods as, the, as these, this group had come in and taken them by force. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after he was returned from the slaughter of Kedolamer, of the kings that were with him at the valley of Sheba, which is the king's dale. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thine hand. And he gave him tithes of all. And this is the first reference of Melchizedek. He was the high priest of God in those days. Now, it's important that we see that Abraham uh, gave respect unto this Melchizedek as the great high priest. Look with me to Hebrews 7. Hebrews 7, and Christ is after this order. Long before there was the, temp, uh, the tabernacle worship, the priesthood according to the Levites, and the temple worship, there was Melchizedek and the worship of God. In Hebrews chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, Hebrews 7 and 1, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth of, uh, part of all, first being by interpretation, again speaking of Melchizedek, king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth the priest continually. Now consider <clears throat> uh, how great this man was unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave 
of the tenth of the spoils. Now Christ is likened unto Melchizedek. His priesthood was something altogether different than the Levitical priesthood. It was something special. And as a matter of fact, some believe that Melchizedek was, if you will, uh, an appearance of Christ in human form as the high priest there. We don't know for sure, and yet there seems to be an indication of this truth. And yet Christ is a high priest of, of something better than, if you will, the Levitical law. Look with me to Hebrews 7, excuse me, 5 and verse 7. Hebrews 5 and verse 7. <clears throat> Again, speaking of, of Christ as a, a high priest who in the days of his flesh, speaking of Christ's flesh, when it offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, was heard in that he feared. And though he were son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Now there are some that believe that, that when he speaks of, of uh, that he, the fact that he feared, we know that Christ did seek the Lord in the Garden of Gethsemane, and we don't see him crying other, you know, in tears and what have you, on the cross, and yet we do find at one place where he cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know, the Lord Jesus Christ went through an awful lot for you and I as our high priest, as our sacrifice, if you will. Uh, look with me to <clears throat> uh, Luke 22. And the word feared here is a word that means that uh, the Lord Jesus Christ had his Father's great reverence, honor, and loving devotion not a cringing fear of God the Father. You know, sometimes when we're growing up, <laughs> we're afraid of fathers. We're afraid of our dad because I remember my dad, when he got mad, uh, he looked like the devil incarnate. His eyes looked like, like we were going to pop out of his head. He, he turned red. I mean, the guy just looked like the devil. And all I could think is, I got to get away from this fellow. Well, I didn't often get away. But, um, you know, Christ did not fear his father in that same manner. And when we speak of the fear of the Lord, we're not speaking of fearing God as one who has to fear uh, the consequences of our sin. When we trust Jesus Christ, we fear the Lord. We come to a place where we honor and respect him. We're devoted by him to him because of love, because of his love for us and our love for him. Amen. So it is with Christ in Luke 22 and 39. Luke 22 and 39. <clears throat> Say, why is all this important? Because, folks, we need to see our, our high priest, see his humanity, see what he went through for you and I. In Luke 22 and 39, <clears throat> here the Bible says, And he came out and went as he was wont to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them, but by a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if it be... if uh, if thou be willing, let uh, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. I mean, I can't imagine the stress that our great high priest as the sacrifice he himself would offer. He offered himself personally on the altar of the cross of Calvary, and as he's in the Garden of Eden, anticipating not just the suffering, but becoming sin for us, who knew no sin. Perfect holiness becoming unholy for you and I. It brought an agony, a stress that caused him to sweat blood, drops of blood. He cried out, he said, God, if, it, if, he, if thou be willing, let this cup pass from me. What was the cup that he was about to have to drink? The fierceness and wrath of Almighty God for us. He did all that for you and I. And you know what, folks? There were times when he cried out to God. Please, if there's some other way. In Hebrews 12. In Hebrews 12. And 28. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be, be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and, for, and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. You know, folks, just as Christ uh, was obedient out of fear, reverence, and devotion to God the Father and his will, so should we. But if you look with me to Isaiah 50 and verse 10. Isaiah 50 and verse 10 tonight. <clears throat> 
Folks, we're talking about what Christ did for us that we might be chosen to be objects of mercy. You know, folks, there's a lot that went into our election and our choosing of him. If you will, Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 5, the Lord, uh, the Lord God hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious. Now, this is somewhat prophetic of our Lord Jesus Christ, and I was not rebellious. And remember we talked about the fact that, uh, that uh, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience. Christ was obedient unto death. Here we speak of his lack of rebellion, neither turned away back. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off my beard. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. For the Lord God will help me, therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed he is near that justifieth me. Who is he that contend, uh, who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is mine adversary? Let him come near unto me. Behold, the Lord God will help me. Who is he that shall condemn me? Lo, they all shall wax old as a garment. The moth shall eat them up. Who is among you that fear the Lord, that obeyeth the voice of his servant, that walketh in darkness and hath no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord God, the Lord. And stay upon his God. You know, folks, uh, the Lord was an obedient son. When there might have been a temptation for a normal man to rebel against God, our Lord Jesus Christ, having suffered all that he did, was obedient unto death, if you will. Uh, look with me to <clears throat> Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. <clears throat> And let's begin in verse 5. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robber to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You know... <clears throat> God the Son, God in the flesh, in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes we, have, we imagine, well, how can God understand what I'm going through? Folks, the Bible says he was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. Folks, there's nothing that we ever go through that Christ hasn't already gone through to some degree. And probably in a more severe way than you and I can ever imagine. And yet he was obedient unto death. An obedience that helped him to not only be the sacrifice, but if you will, the great high priest who would offer that sacrifice. In Hebrews 5 and 9 again, Hebrews 5 and 9. <clears throat> and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. You know, folks, there is a certain measure of obedience in the gospel. You say, well, I thought... Uh, salvation is by grace through faith in him. Surely it is. And yet, folks, uh, the Lord speaks here of, of, uh, of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Obey what? Look, if you will, to uh, <clears throat> Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. <clears throat> and let's begin in verse 8. Romans chapter 10. <clears throat> What it is is a call to faith, a call to choosing Christ yourself by grace through faith. In Romans 10 and 8, But what say that the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart? That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth... Mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed, for there is no difference between the Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace, and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel of Christ. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report. You know, folks, there's a measure of obedience in salvation, the obedience of faith. 
You know, folks, when we hear the message of Christ, we hear God calling us to salvation through the work and the voice of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. You know what, folks? We're left with a choice. In John 1 and 11, the Bible says, He came unto His own, and His own received Him not, but as many as received Him to them gave He power to become the sons of God. Either you receive Him or reject Him. Either you choose Him or you reject Him. Many of, uh, of the Jews in Christ's day rejected the Savior. They rejected their own mercy. And henceforth, we're not chosen of God to be the objects of mercy. In Mark 1, look at verses 14 and 15. Now, after that, John, speaking of John Baptist, was put in prison. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. To repent is to change your mind, change your heart, turn from your sin to Christ and obey the gospel. Respond to him, receive him by grace through faith. And there's a certain measure of obedience to that call, to that work that God does in your heart to help you and I to become a chosen Object of mercy, if you will, Hebrews 9. Hebrews 9. Say, why are we doing this? We're trying, I want you to see how the work that God does in election. Hebrews chapter 9. And if you will, tonight, the sprinkling of blood. He is not only the sacrifice, but he is the great high priest who not only offered himself, but then took his sacrifice to heaven. Hebrews 9 and 18. Excuse me, Hebrews 9 and 18. Whereupon neither was the first testament dedicated without blood. He's talking about the Old Testament covenant. For when Moses had spoken every precept to, the, to, uh, to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and the goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled the, uh, the blood both of the tabernacle and all the vessels of ministry. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and that without the shedding of blood there is no remission. Now in the Old Testament, they, if you will, God made a covenant with them according to sacrifice. An Old Testament covenant, a covenant that was forward-looking. It was forward-looking. Their trust and their faith wasn't in the sacrifices, but by faith they offered a sacrifice as a testimony of their faith in the Christ and the sacrifice to come. Let's read on. It was uh, therefore necessary that the patterns of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered in the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he have often suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many and of them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Now folks... When Christ died and was buried, he rose again. He appeared to many. He said, listen, I'm alive and well. But then he ascended up into heaven because there was something he had yet to do. He had to take his precious blood, go into the very mercy seat of God in heaven, to the Holy of Holies, and take his precious blood and do as they did in the Old Testament and sprinkle, if you will, with hyssop, his blood upon all the vessels of the eternal heavenly sanctuary of God, the mercy seat of God, so as to appease the wrath of God and provide mercy for you and I. And I'm going to tell you something. When we put our faith and trust in what Christ has done for us, we're looking back to the great high priest who fulfilled everything to do with the Old Testament. And so it was time to put it away. The Old Testament forms of worship were a picture of the Christ to come. Christ came, fulfilled them all. And you know what, folks? We no longer worship God according to those kinds of sacrifices. We worship God from our heart, trusting in the finished work of Christ 
from the cross of Calvary, amen, in heaven itself. What a blessing. If you will, look with me to Hebrews 11 and 27. Hebrews 11 and 27. By faith, speaking of Moses, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of him, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible through faith. He kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should, not, uh, should touch them. Now again, we know that uh, God had instructed Moses. He said, offer the, uh, the, the lamb of atonement. They took the blood, they put it on the, the doorpost and the lintels of the door, if you will, by the sprinkling of that blood. Again, a picture forward-looking. Now listen, even before, even before God established the form of worship, the public form of worship with the Jews, they already understood something. They already understood that there was power to save, there was power to forgive, there was power to escape the judgment of God in the precious blood of the Lamb. In Hebrews 12 and 24, Hebrews 12 and 24. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. You mean Abel? Now listen. Do you think that Abel knew who Christ was? Absolutely. You know, folks, it's an amazing thing. Sometimes we imagine that they did something so much differently. They didn't have any knowledge of the things we have. Now, you know what? Maybe they don't understand the things we understand today. But they worship the same Christ looking forward. Look with me, if you will, to, <clears throat> to um, <clears throat> uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And verse 4. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. What kind of a, if you look back in Genesis 4, Cain offered to God an, a sacrifice of the fruit of the ground. The Bible says of Abel that he offered unto God, if you will, the firstlings of, a, of, the, of the flock and the fat thereof. And you know what, folks? God, uh, Abel offered unto God a blood sacrifice, typical and forward-looking to the Christ who would come one day and offer himself on the cross of Calvary as the sacrifice for sins. You know, there's always been one plan of salvation in the Bible. By grace through faith in Christ. You know, God has chosen to elect us as we choose him. God doesn't choose for us. He chooses us when we choose him. Amen. If you will, Luke 22. Luke 22. <clears throat> and believe it or not, I'm almost done. Luke 22. <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> Look at verse 14. When the hour was come, we're talking about the observance of the first Lord's Supper, which actually was a fulfillment of believe it or not, of the Passover. Christ was going to fulfill all of, of what the, the, the Old Testament Passover service pictured. Amen? He was observing the last Passover and the first Lord's Supper service. Now, let's read on. He said in verse 15 unto them, with desire, now he's talking to his church, with desire of desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took the bread and gave thanks and brake it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, this uh, cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Now, you know what? We're going to observe uh, the Lord's Supper April the 8th here soon. And you know, every time we observe the Lord's Supper, folks, you know what we're doing? We're looking back. 
And we are remembering, in one sense, our election. Our election. Not only uh, according to the foreknowledge of God, the determined counsel of God, the work of the Holy Spirit, but predominantly, we're remembering the sprinkling of blood by an obedient, great high priest and sacrifice of God for our sins. We're remembering something special, folks. What God did, you know, we look back to that. If you're saved here today, you know, folks, you, didn't, you, you, you had to look back to what Christ has already done, what he's already accomplished, amen? And if you're saved by the grace of God, you are elect, the elect of God, chosen, a chosen vessel for mercy, amen? And first, folks, you know what mercy is? It's God, God forgiving an offender of their offense. Amen. You know, our election is grand and glorious. But it's not someone choosing for us. It's our choosing him and then him responding by choosing us. Amen. What a, you know, what an important choice. Let me ask you the question tonight. Are you saved by the grace of God? When did you choose to receive our Lord Jesus Christ by grace through faith in him? When did God manifest himself to your heart, your need, through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit? When did you see the determinate plan of God to save you by grace through faith in Him? When were you saved? Amen. There's a day of salvation for every one of us, and it's a work of God to bring us to that day. But if there's a day, hallelujah, amen, what a Savior. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about this message, or if you would like information about our church, please visit us online at bbcdickinson.com.